Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solution Center L3C. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bridging Chicago. I'm Savannah Roundtree, the law clerk here at SATC, and joining us today we have Gerardo Rodriguez. Gerardo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here, Savannah. Um, I really appreciate being here. You know, um, it's not every day that you get an opportunity to come here and, you know, voice who you are and what you do and so forth, and I want to say thank you for having me here. Yeah, we're um, excited. You are a 7th and 8th grade science teacher at Darwin Elementary. Um, which is actually in my neighborhood, so that's fun. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I'm a seventh and eighth grade teacher in in, in CPS, um, and well, hopefully this year coming up, I'm going to be a fifth and sixth grade science oh, really? teacher. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. great. Um, so let's just get started. I do know that you uh, went to CPS um, as a child yourself. So you grew up in Chicago. Yes, I uh, I grew up in Chicago. So I'll give you my background yeah. story. So I grew up in the <laughs> Belmont Cragen neighborhood. So right by um, Fullerton and Central, so for a lot of people it may be familiar. Uh, I was born and raised there my whole life. I didn't grow up in a different neighborhood. Uh, so my family basically immigrated from Mexico, and well, they found their way to the Belmont Cragen neighborhood. Great. And well, when I first started school, I was in Burbank Elementary, mm-hmm. and then they transferred me over to CICS West Belden for a couple of years, and then I ended up going to my neighborhood high school, which is Diamonds. Okay. Uh, and then from Steinman's, um, I went to UIC, mm-hmm. and then I got my bachelor's in uh, elementary education, and I found my way into teaching. Great. So what made you want to go into elementary education? So funny thing was I decided I wanted to be a teacher roughly around the time I was a junior in high school. Okay. I kind of knew I wanted to be a teacher since the longest, but it wasn't until this moment where it really cemented with me. Um, it was one day during my AVID class, and it stands for Advanced Via Individual Determinations. So it was like a uh, college prep kind of mm-hmm. class. And so I had a Greek substitute teacher that day. Mm-hmm. And around that time, we were just working on other material. And so I got into a conversation with the substitute, and out of nowhere, he was like, you know, I think you should really be a teacher. And okay. that kind of struck me, and I'm like, what do you mean I should be a teacher? And he was like, you know, you, you communicate really well with the other students. You help them out. You're very articulate when it comes to, you know, expressing your ideas and so forth. From that moment, I kind of knew I needed to be a teacher. And ever since then, I haven't looked back. Really? And I haven't, yeah. you know, changed course into what I wanted to go into. Yeah, that's great. And did you always know that you wanted to do the science aspect of that as well? Uh, well... I always wanted to do science, but at the same time, I wanted to be a math teacher. But when I was little, I was that kid that would play with uh, the worms in the backyard. Mm -hmm. I would dig up the earth, you know, play with the worms. Um, When I would go to Mexico, I I would pick up the reptiles that were around Uh that area. (laughs) And sometimes I would even try to pick up the snakes, which was a bad idea. But, Um, you know, I tried to do that. (laughs) And I always figured, you know, I always loved science. When I was little, I always liked watching Discovery Channel, Animal Planet. And one of my favorite shows on Animal Planet was The Most Extreme, where it showed animals with different behaviors and, like, the most extreme, you know, uh, needs of survival and how they survive, and ever since then. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you were made to be a science teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you were a student at CPS schools, were a lot of your teachers, um, did they have diverse backgrounds? Well, when I was in Birmingham, I do remember I had a lot of Hispanic teachers because I was in the Hispanic side of the building. Uh, Well, the, the bilingual side, I guess you could say. 
And so, because they taught uh, classes in Spanish there. And it's so funny because okay. originally I was in the English side. Mm -hmm. And when I was little, I only knew English. Mm -hmm. And so my mom thought it would be a great idea to put me in the, immerse me in, in complete Spanish. Oh, and so your mom made the choice for you mm -hmm. to be taking Spanish classes? Yeah. Or your classes in Spanish, rather? And I didn't know a drop of Spanish. <laughs> and so everyone was, you know, way ahead of me. So I kind of felt like how a lot of students may feel when they come yeah, here say, and they don't know the, a drop of English. Yeah, the opposite yeah. of what a lot of Hispanic students go through when they get here is they don't know any English and they just get put into <laughs> all English classes. So did, I guess did that teach you Spanish? It, it did teach me Spanish. I mean, I learned Spanish eventually because in mm -hmm. my household, all we do is we speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. But throughout that whole time, I was like, well, I don't I have no idea what to say, how to say, how to read it. Um, mm -hmm. But then, you know, I could tell by the pictures and yeah. I kind of winged it, I guess, at the <laughs> yeah. time. But I, I kind of got an understanding of how a lot of um, a lot of the Spanish speaking students feel when they come here and they don't understand anything. Right. Yeah. So I didn't grow up in Chicago. And so is offering Spanish uh, or classes in Spanish, is that typical of Chicago high schools or is like is that only like the neighborhoods that you were in, or do you know? Um, I do I do know that a lot of schools now are starting to become dual uh, language. Okay. And my school currently is dual language as well from, I believe, pre-K all the way until fourth grade. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, I mean, now it's becoming more and more of a necessity. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's really great that they offer those classes because where I grew up in Virginia, we had like one class per grade that it was just all the English as a single language kids were like in those classes and they were completely separate from the rest of us and um, I don't even think all of them you know were necessarily like Spanish as a first language and so I'm sure that was really difficult for them so it's great to hear that there are dual language classes like that. Oh yeah definitely and it's just you know we don't really think of it as like a luxury to to know English or to know the main language mm -hmm. of the country until it's time for you to actually speak the language of, of that country. And, right. and, and, you know, you're like, what am I supposed to say? What am I, you know, I have no idea what's going on. And at times we think that, you know, some of the students may not be as intelligent because they're not getting it. But in reality, it's just the language barrier. That gets right. In the way. Like you can't be teaching only in English and have students who don't know English mm -hmm. and expect them to be performing at the same level as students who know English. I think that's um, like ridiculous and to hinder students based on what language they know is. <laughs> no, I definitely agree. Uh, but going back to the question of having uh, teachers of diverse background, mm -hmm. when I was at Burbank there was, um, but my parents transferred me over to CICS West Belden since it was like a, a block away from where I live. Okay. Um, it wasn't my choice, but for the most part, I had nothing but uh, white teachers. Yeah. They did make an impact to me, but at the same time, they were very um, supportive. They were very helpful, and a lot of them did um, inspire me to become that science teacher that I am, like especially right. the science teachers. Mm -hmm. So I do understand that you know they did have a big influence, but looking back, it wasn't a negative yeah. um, kind of influence. They were very helpful for me. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to Steinman, that's when I really got, like, not a culture shock, but, you know, I got to experience teachers of different backgrounds. Okay, great. And so now are your colleagues more diverse, or is it still more of, like, a neighborhood-to-neighborhood -neighborhood difference? My colleagues are very diverse, um, but I figure since it's neighborhood-to-neighborhood, -neighborhood, it mm -hmm. depends on, you know, that area. But 
surprisingly, since I'm in the Logan Square area, mm-hmm. I do have a um, diverse amount, a diverse group of colleagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think obviously it's really important to have not only diverse students, but also um, you know diverse people teaching those students as well. There's so many studies about how important it is to experience diversity so I think that's great oh yeah and and definitely like when I've been in the classroom um, I always tell students that you know you're I don't want to say you're lucky but it's good that you have someone that looks like you that has Mm -hmm. a similar background to show you that you know just being in your neighborhood isn't what you're supposed to do in in your life because a lot of them aspire to only be in their neighborhood which isn't a problem itself but I tell them that there's more to life than their neighborhood you know there's the whole world to see Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's great so uh, the school year is about to start. What year of teaching will this be for you? This will be my second year of teaching. Your second year. Yes. All right. So what was your first year of teaching like? Was it um, a lot of shock after just coming out of school? Was Did school prepare you well for the realities of teaching? So um, my school, uh, UIC, did prepare mm-hmm. me a lot for the world of teaching, especially my professor, Paz Yadlik. Mm-hmm. He yeah. did prepare me a lot um, for teaching in the real world, especially when I was placed in, in different areas for my clinicals, as well as uh, for student teaching. Mm-hmm. For student teaching, um, so I'll go back just a little bit to sure. student teaching just to <laughs> build up everything. Uh, so when I was student teaching, I was at Salcedo. It's by 24th in California, okay. so it's in the little village area. It's kind of like mm-hmm. Pilsen, little, little village. It's yeah. like a weird mix. Um, and so when I was there, I kind of got the shock of teaching because I had a great, um, a great co-teacher, mm-hmm. Mrs. Alexis. Okay. And, you know, at the time I was like, it was a shock because I had to, I didn't necessarily have to do everything all at once, but I got a lot of responsibility that I wasn't mm-hmm. used to in, in terms of handling the classroom, learning the procedures, learning the rules. And a lot of those rules that I learned from student teaching, I bring them over to when, when I first started teaching. Mm-hmm. So it made it less of a hassle. And the great thing about having Miss Alexis, she would always monitor my teaching all the time. Mm-hmm. So she would always give me feedback right. after, the, after every lesson. And at yeah. first I was like, oh, my God, feedback after every lesson. It, <laughs> you know, you would think it gets annoying and, you know, you kind of get bothered because you're, you're doing your best and then you get the feedback constantly. But mm-hmm. looking back, it was actually very beneficial because a lot of those mistakes that I, I was doing, I don't do mm-hmm. them anymore. Yeah. And it, and it became more organic to me. And I do appreciate that um, from my mentor right. teaching. Yeah, it can be harder to see, you know, what things you might be missing or what feedback you might need, you know, when you're the only one in the classroom. And I think I really like the student teaching model and I wish more um, like fields would utilize that where you sort of get slowly integrated into having your own classroom and you do get that period where someone else is helping you, giving you feedback every day. Because for other jobs, it's just like, all right, you're out of college, you start, <laughs> like you have no experience in this field and just figure out your job. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I think that's a really good model that other businesses should look at. And, and I do like what UIC did. Um, because with student teaching, we started from the fall mm-hmm. and we ended in the spring. Okay, so you had a whole year of student yes. teaching. And then, because I, I do know a lot of colleges don't do that, or a lot of universities mm-hmm. don't do that. You only get the spring semester to right. kind of do Were it. Were you all. in the same classroom that whole year? Yeah, I was in the oh, same classroom. So it was very beneficial. I got mm-hmm. to know the kids. Um, I still miss them to this day. I'm, yeah. I'm like, I kind of <laughs> wish I still had them. Going back to the question with how was my first year teaching? It was kind of it was turbulent, but it was good at the it was great at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, I started off at a school in the South Side, actually. Okay. Uh, it was a shock because in the aspect of the way the school culture was, it wasn't the friendliest culture when it came to working or with student um, like, needs as as much. From like the 
like an administrative yeah. standpoint? From the administrative mm-hmm. standpoint, um, school had a really high turnover rate. So when I in first, terms of teachers leaving, yeah. So when I first came in, I think there was about twenty something to thirty something brand new teachers coming in. Out of so, how many teachers were at the school? Um, the roughly, s- school had about a thousand students. So I- I'm not sure how much faculty, how much staff there were, but mm-hmm. it was a pretty high turnover okay. rate. And it's funny because um, when a couple of my colleagues and I, I still talk to them to this day. Um, when we first started t- like getting to know each other, we thought that you know we were here for a couple of years, and turns out the majority of the staff, you know, we were brand new, and we were mm-hmm. kind of like everything was kind of clicking. Like this isn't right, you know. Right, and that can be especially hard because you do want to sort of be able to look to other teachers that have been there longer to be able to sort of get a handle on things. And if so many of you are first-year teachers, I assume that's really difficult. Yeah. I mean, there were some teachers that had been teaching for a while, but sure. they were brand new to the school. So right. I kind of relied on, on them to help me out a lot. Um, it was a shock just because of the way administration handled a lot mm-hmm. of things. Um, they weren't very communicative. We kind of had to hide mm-hmm. to talk about certain things. And so from there, I knew I had to go somewhere where the culture was a lot friendlier, the culture shared similar vision to what I wanted Mm -hmm. to do with teaching and so that's around I want to say November December I started applying at other places and Mm -hmm. it's so funny because when I start when I started applying to other places it started off as like you know it was during my lunch break and I was like "Mm, maybe I'll I'll look around to see so I started applying and then I got a couple of callbacks and then it wasn't until I got a call from Darwin where Mm -hmm. you know I'm like this is my chance you know so I did my best with the interview and everything, and, and I earned a position. And so you where you switched schools in the middle of last school year? Yeah. And so I'll talk about the mid-year switch. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of teachers will say you you have to end the school year with the school that you, you, know, you started off with just because it might be a disservice to the kids and so forth. And, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, you have to finish the school year. I had I talked a lot with uh, my professor, Pazi Adlik, in mm-hmm. that aspect because I was very um, – it was like inner ter- turmoil for me, you know. I was struggling in the aspect of should I do it, should I not, right. you know. I'm, I'm kind of not happy where I'm at. It's not mm-hmm. even because of the students. The students were wonderful. Right. Um, I miss them to this day as well, but I just knew I wasn't going to be able to grow where I was at. Mm-hmm. So I would talk to Professor Paziatic a lot, and he told me, you know, this is about your career, your future, so you got to do what's best for your interests. Right. Because later down the line, you don't want to be stuck in that place and then you end up getting laid off and so mm-hmm. forth. And so I made the switch. It was difficult saying goodbye to the students, mm-hmm. but they understood why. Yeah, I mean, as a teacher, I know it can be very difficult because you do want to look out for the interests of your students. But at the same time, if you're not looking out for your own interests, I don't think you'll be able to be the teacher that those children necessarily need. Mm-hmm. Um, so you left the South Side and you came to Darwin. What was that like entering? Um, I assume those students had had a different teacher um, in the fall as well. So what was that like entering a new classroom atmosphere? It had its difficulties in the aspect of getting to know the students really quickly since it was already mid-year. And, you know, it, it was difficult just because the students were used to a different set of rules and the fact that they may have had, you know, substitutes here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they didn't get that consistency. So getting them used to that consistency, those routines, that stability, wasn't really necessarily difficult, but it was a challenge. 
just because going anywhere halfway, halfway through the year can, can have its own challenges. But the students did accept me right away. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a, like a struggle every single day of getting them to do things. It That's was just great. getting them to know who I was as mm-hmm. a person. And the funny thing was that they did have a male science teacher before I did. So it was kind of like a smooth transition. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were telling me that they do miss their science teacher. And I told them, like, I do understand because I, when I got there, I talked to them with saying, like, I'm not here to replace your science teacher in that aspect because you developed a bond right. with him even like because I'm pretty sure a lot of them looped with him throughout mm-hmm. the year. So I told them, you know, I'm not here to replace him. I'm not here to, you know, so on and so forth. I'm here to teach you. I'm here to support you in any way possible. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of support from the administration. That's and great. that's what so, helped out a lot. Yeah. Have you had a, a more positive experience with the administration at Darwin? Oh, yeah. I like working uh, with, with the current principal, Mr. Del Reyes. He's very mm-hmm. supportive, very helpful. Um, there hasn't been a situation where I'm not helped in any way. It's a very mm-hmm. supportive environment. And I, I, I always go happy um, to work. There yeah. isn't a day where I'm like, ah. You know, where I'm like, I need three cups of coffee to enter. <laughs> you know, I come every day happy, even if, you know, I, I may be a little sleepy. I'm always happy to be there. I'm always happy to help out, work. Yeah, it's really important, especially when um, you have to be so invested in teaching just as the nature of what the job is. You want to be happy about the work that you're doing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, going back to the mid-year shift, um, I would I would talk to my parents a lot with you know should i switch should i not and my dad told me you know you worked all these years in in the warehouse you worked all these years at um being a cook you worked all these years you know studying and for you to get a degree and be somewhere that you're not happy it doesn't make sense you know he's like we didn't struggle we didn't come all the way over here just for you to be complacent Mm -hmm. and so he told me you know you gotta go where wherever it makes you happy yeah that's great that it seems like you had a lot of support on this decision from all areas and you know a lot of people have that individual individualistic mindset which mm-hmm. uh, you know up to a certain degree you do have to have when it comes to your career but it's very it's also very important with making decisions in life to have a good uh, support system mm-hmm. you know even if they don't know everything in depth just for them to support you and say we're here for you it's, it's, it, it, mean, it means the world yeah um, so we actually got to talk to Ed Podziadlik, um a little while ago, and he's also been a guest on the podcast. And I know he talks about a focus on sort of stakeholder investment and getting the community involved in the classroom and um, really meeting the students where they are. And so on sort of that note, and also just um, you talked about the rules that you learned with Miss Alexis and stuff. So just tell us a little bit about um, how you implement these rules and what sort of things you're implementing in your classroom. So what I like to do in my classroom is I like to do a lot of meditation in my classroom. Okay. So, um, and well, now I got training for it, but beforehand I didn't get any kind of professional training with Mm -hmm. how to do calm classroom or any of that. So um, what I like to do when I get the chance to every day is meditate, even if it's just for three to five minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, What I started off with was telling students what meditation is, how to do it. Um, and at first, you know, they would joke around with the whole, mm, mm-hmm. all of that meditation. <laughs> and I did laugh because it, it is funny because they are students and they are young. Um, but, you know, I told them the importance of it with clearing the mind. It gets you focused. It gets you, you know, ready to do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And so I started off with just playing um, like meditation music or calming music on YouTube, just pure instrumentals, you know, lower down, turn off the lights, lower the shades, and, you know, just have students have a space to not even if they don't close their eyes because I, I i gave them the chance to not just opt out but you know to be quiet at least mm-hmm. for the other students 
and you know and at first you know some students were resistant to it because they weren't used to it but right. then after a while I started to get each classroom to start doing it and I would have students here and there to tell me you know thank you for doing it you know it, it helps me it helps mm -hmm. me relax it helps me calm down especially like during recess or in, in the right off the bat in the morning and some of the other rules that um, I started implementing like from Miss Alexis was um, just getting ready with manipulatives you know mm -hmm. don't try something new that same day sure. you know because <laughs> I mean with teaching there is no fixed lesson plan with you know whatever is written on paper is what you're gonna do because there might be things that you have to change right off the bat right but don't try something completely new without testing it at home mm -hmm. because it can be disastrous <laughs> or it can make the lesson become really awkward but I think one of the greatest things um, that she told me was that the students don't know when you're anxious the students don't know when you don't know what comes next right you know because there can be sometimes where you'll memorize it in your head and you're going through it mm -hmm. and then you reach that block and you're like uh, what am I supposed to say next right <laughs> and she told me that if a lesson isn't working out it's okay to stop the lesson and say we'll, we'll continue this tomorrow or just stop the lesson completely and start all over the next mm -hmm. day yeah because she said what ends up happening is students get confused students don't know what's going on and then students might think that you don't know what's going on mm -hmm. and so she said it's always best to if the lesson isn't going right to stop the lesson and continue it the next day yeah because it ends up preparing you Mm -hmm. That's very similar to um, advice people give performers. It's like the audience doesn't know when you've missed a note or like missed your line or whatever. And um, I never thought about teaching that way, but it's pretty similar. It's like your students don't know if you were supposed to go on to the next lesson or if you're going to stay on this. So um, I think that's really helpful advice to just like keep in the back of your mind. Um, so how many um, classes do you have each year? Because you're just teaching science, mm -hmm. right? Um, so how many different uh, classes are you dealing with? So when I was um, teaching 7th and 8th grade at Darwin, I had four classrooms. Okay, and do those have different, do you have different lesson plans for each of them, or? Um, so I have two groups of 8th and two okay. groups of 7th. So mm -hmm. with 7th, um, I teach them one set curriculum, and then mm -hmm. with 8th, I teach them another set of curriculum, because mm -hmm. right now, CPS, we're, we're using um, Amplify. Okay. So Amplify is the new science curriculum um, for CPS. And I, I do like a lot of it because it does have a lot of like simulations. It lays down a lot of the lesson plan work. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all you have to do is break down each lesson. So it's kind of already done for yeah. you because beforehand when it came to science, you had to plan every single thing from four different classrooms. Yeah, so building a imagine. whole curriculum from scratch is really daunting, especially for a new teacher who oh, yeah. has two different <laughs> <laughs> curriculums to be dealing with. So I'm sure it's really helpful that they have at least like the sort of baseline oh, yeah, laid definitely. out for you. And I like how you said it was it's a baseline because it is a baseline mm -hmm. worth what you can work with. And I do like how everything's rolled out, how you have manipulatives that they already have in the box. So it's, I think it's very important to have that. Um, my only thing about it is that a lot of students, what they'll tell me is, can we do more hands-on activities, you know? And mm -hmm. I do agree that with science, you do need hands-on stuff when it comes to, you know, having stuff like maybe explode, jump right. out. Because <laughs> students love that. And I remember when I was mm -hmm. in, in, in elementary school or even in high school, I had that a lot in science. Mm -hmm. So just finding ways to supplement that, you know, bringing right. more materials mm -hmm. in. And so um, you had four classes last year. Do you have the same this year? Do you know what your classes are yet? Um, so since I'm going to be teaching fifth and sixth, it's going to be two fifth and two sixth. Okay. So it'll be similar. Mm -hmm. It'll be a similar model. It's just different um, grade levels. Right. But so 
all you're sort of starting from scratch again since you're yeah. changing grade levels. Is this a choice that you wanted to make, or do you get any decisions about that? Um, I was asked, you mm-hmm. know, what would be my grade level preference, and you know, at first I was like, you know, I'm good where I'm at, and I'm okay with where I'm at, but mm-hmm. I, at the same time, I, I did say I'm, I'm flexible with where I need to be placed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm always happy to work with the younger kids as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a, a preference as long as it's not anything lower than fourth grade. <laughs> um, anything lower than fourth grade, I might have to have a lot of pushback with. But, I mean, overall, I like working with fourth, fifth, and up. Because mm-hmm. um, I did work with a lot of the fourth and fifth graders um, last year, so now they're going to be fifth and sixth grade. So I kind of know some mm-hmm. of them already, because so, um, I did a lot of Saturday school with them. Okay, yeah, so aside from just teaching your four science classes during the week, what are some other things um, that are just sort of worked into your duties as a teacher? Uh, so we have at times, I think every other week we have ILT, we have PPLC, like setting the budget and, mm-hmm. and so forth, and then this year we're thinking of doing like robotics. Okay. I'm bringing robotics to Darwin. Okay. Um, right now we're thinking of just doing it like as a, like as a team like of, t- of 10 students but doing it after school mm-hmm. and then see how of a success it is how we can implement it to have a school wide for the next year other responsibilities we'll have is um, like science night or math night mm-hmm. as far as I know that's what I have so far but you know along the school year things will pop out right as a newer teacher do you find that sort of more of these sort of extra duties that get pushed on you because the older teachers don't want to do it or is it sort of a mix of just like all the teachers have all these things to do? Well, at Darwin, it's it's like a big community, so it's everyone's involved. Mm-hmm. There isn't just like, you're the new teacher, you have to do it. You know, everybody's in. I don't really see anyone um, being upset with doing their duties. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, we know what we have to do. We have to do it for the students. But we just like being there for the most part, so it isn't that much of a you know, like a pushback saying, oh, I have to do this again. Right. It's always best when you can enjoy being at your job. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it, it makes the world, um, just because, you know, if, if I were to go in the mindset of like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, the only thing I'm doing is making myself more miserable and making right. myself unhappy, which in the long run, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So after your first full year of teaching, are there any things that you're going to change or any things that you learned that you're going to be... Um, changing up going into your next year? Oh, yeah, just being more vigilant um, and more forthcoming of student behavior. Okay. So when I start to see things that I don't like and student behavior nip it in the butt right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always called parents. I've always, you know, sent messages out, but just this way being more upfront about it and being more diligent about, you know, student behavior in, in general just because, um, you know, at times you may say, oh, this student's having a bad day, you know, I'll let, the, let them off the hook. But mm-hmm. at times, you know, it can, it can come back to haunt you with, you know, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this differently? So uh, it's just being more vigilant with student behavior. Um, and, yeah, I think that's mostly what I want to focus on, student yeah. behavior. And what have you been doing this summer to prep for your next school year? Um, well, what I've been doing is making myself happy with relaxing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go to Colorado. Oh, nice. And I went to Mexico <laughs> for about two weeks. So my main focus was just relaxing myself to get myself in that mindset to just take in everything when it when it starts to come in and mm-hmm. not just be like, I should have relaxed. I should have taken, you know, a week or two off. Right. 
Um, right now, what I'm doing is I'm creating all, not the assignments, but the, the monthly assignments that I'm doing, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the rules, a lot of the, like the syllabus, yeah. um, basically all the paperwork and all the electronic stuff I'm, I'm preparing as of now. Yeah. And then I think later on this week or next week, that's when I'm going to start going back in the classroom and setting up everything yeah um how do you like to set your classroom up do you i know a lot of teachers are trying to do more um sort of integrated seating models and stuff do you do anything like that i'm sure that's more difficult in a science classroom most of my teacher friends are english teachers so um currently as of now in in the science classroom i did get like pillows i did get like those um, soft floor mats okay do you find that those uh different seating models work in the science classroom um, I haven't tested it out okay, for myself. Okay, so this is new. Yeah, so this is this is new. Um, currently, at the moment, I just have regular um, that like tables with with seats. Mm-hmm. But on during time that students are doing probably group group work that does not involve anything doing hands on. And mm-hmm. I'm what I'm gonna try to see is to to see if it works in mm-hmm. the science classroom. Yeah. Just because with science, there's a lot of rules with handling materials. Right. Well, that's why I was like, you don't want to be doing like an experiment on the floor or something yeah. or you don't want to be doing an experiment with like a swivel chair or right. you know a bouncy ball mm-hmm. and, and you know just risk it um so i mean i would have to see first i i don't know how much of a success it'll be mm-hmm. but i am willing to try it out yeah um it's great and um so you have four different classes and two of them um sort of two different curriculums to work with mm-hmm. how do you find not only balancing that, but also I'm sure like the different classes get off schedule from one another. So what's it like just balancing all those different schedules? Um, it comes to planning like weeks ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I like to do on the weekends. Um, so usually on the weekends, I'll, I'll dedicate at least five hours, three to five hours each weekend. Okay. Um, well, each day of the weekend to plan weeks ahead. Because like, mm-hmm. I'll look at the schedule, what upcoming events we'll have. Um, and plan around it. So if, for example, half the day, you know, one certain grade level won't be able to do certain things, mm-hmm. then I'll find other material to supplement that activity okay. so students can be on the same pace because I don't mm-hmm. like being all over the place right. and having to manage because I feel like that's more work on my end, but mm-hmm. also it'll com- it might confuse students because, you know, students talk with one another. Right. They'll say, why are they more ahead mm-hmm. than we are? What Are they smarter? And it's just that kind of hassle to avoid right. more than anything. Um, so being that you were a student at CPS and now you're teaching there, have you seen any, um, or what kind of changes have you seen across CPS during that time? Oh, the, um, I've seen lots of lots of changes. Um, for starters, I see more a more diverse background mm-hmm. of, of teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more technology based. I will tell well, you that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I remember when I was in CPS, you know, having a computer in the classroom or even in the school was was a luxury. Mm-hmm. And now I see that there's computers everywhere. There's well, at my school, there's a one to one ratio, in which I really do love because mm-hmm. um, every student does have a computer or a, or a Chromebook. Yeah. As a matter of fact, and I do love that they that they have technology implemented everywhere. Um, the only hassle I can find with technology would be if there's like a, what do you call it, a internet outage. Oh, yeah. And then like you suddenly can't access your materials yeah. that you need to <laughs> Definitely, because a lot of uh, what Amplify is, it's, I mean, they do have workbooks that, that obviously are physical and mm-hmm. they're paper-based. But um, I remember, I forgot what month it was. I was having the eighth graders take a state exam. 
uh, on the computer and then out of nowhere that's when they had the internet outage oh man <laughs> and so i was stuck with the eighth graders for i want to say mostly the whole day without and you're just like we can't do anything because yeah. our computers don't work and i didn't have any paper copies just because it was you know we're so used to having technology right. that we're like we don't need to make paper copies anymore <laughs> that's a thing of the past yeah. now with the internet outage we were like what are we supposed to do and the fact that they're chromebooks you know mm-hmm. with chromebooks you need internet um internet connection in order to access them oh really because you know? they, they aren't like a typical um laptop where you have other applications that you can use that you can kind of work with with mm-hmm. chromebook it's either you have internet connection or it doesn't really work okay uh, yeah <laughs> it'd be really detrimental if your internet's Definitely. out that's something i never even thought about because you know when i was in school we had like computer carts that our teachers could rent and we could like use a computer like maybe one day a month or something and so that was not really an issue and our books never like went out of service or whatever so um, I'm sure that's difficult to deal with and I definitely I mean we still have those books but Mm -hmm. like I didn't necessarily have them in the classroom at that point right and if your plan was to be taking a test that needed to be on the computer exactly so that day it was kind of like a reminder that you do need to have like Mm -hmm. paper copies and so forth yeah um and you know i i mean don't get me wrong i do love the technology but that's the only aspect i Mm -hmm. don't like about it like if there's an internet outage what are you supposed to do right i mean what i did that day was i had them do peace uh, circles like talking about how their days are going you know how are they Mm -hmm. feeling because it was close to their graduation yeah um and other things that I did was team building, like games that we played with, you know, at whole classroom. So that definitely did help out a lot. Yeah. So it wasn't chaotic because they were really yeah. well behaved. That's good. I wasn't buzzing the office yeah. every five seconds. <laughs> like, I need help. I need support. <laughs> and then um, another thing that I've noticed is that we're uh, with CPS or in schools in general, they're doing a lot of restorative justice. Okay, that's great. So, I mean, I do really, I really love restorative justice mm-hmm. with having to communicate with students about consequences and just having them reflect and reflecting yourself about, you know, the decisions that they make and as well as the decisions that they're making. Um, and again, with everything that you implement in the school, not everything's going to be perfect because mm-hmm. a lot of people assume that with restorative justice, it means that there's no consequences whatsoever, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, let's just say... A kid were to punch another kid let's just say for example mm-hmm. a lot of people think with the restorative justice that that kid that initiated that you know that contact wouldn't get in trouble you know all they would have to do is write a reflection you know it's done and mm-hmm. the kid doesn't learn their lesson and in reality restorative justice is having students reflect but also giving them the consequence and explaining why they're receiving that consequence right. so it isn't just purely punitive where it's like here's a detention you know go after school and that's it Mm-hmm. where students don't know why they right. received that in the first place. Um, so I think that's one thing a lot of people get wrong about restorative justice. Is it's not just, you know, having them do a reflection, but it's explaining why the, deci- the decisions that they make aren't the wisest in school and how that, when it's transferred outside of school, like in the real world, that can be very detri- detrimental mm-hmm. to them, especially when you're working with students who are minorities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and just the fact that, you know, their consequences might might be bigger than or greater than someone else who right. is in a minority. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to working with the technology, do you find it more difficult to keep the students on task when they have, you know, the access to technology in front of them? I know sometimes it was hard for me to stay on task as an elementary schooler, even though I didn't have anything really to distract me. I was just not paying attention. <laughs> 
Um, so what we use a lot now with the Chromebooks, is, it, it's an application called GoGuardian. Okay, so there is just like the ability to sort of lock Monitor. them down and not let them so we just can like start wandering on Facebook or whatever. Exactly, <laughs> and, and even then like with CPS, they, uh, they have a lot of firewall work, but it basically blocks them from accessing stuff like okay. Twitter, Facebook. Mm -hmm all the most popular sites mm -hmm. um but there are in go guardian there is a scene there are things that are called scenes which you can put as, as as a background um as a background application where you put in websites that you don't want students to access at all okay or you can have it so that there's certain students that can't open more than three tabs okay and they so can they only, can't be distracted exactly and they can only open up the tabs that you want them to open up so like let's just say i only want them to access ixl mm -hmm. um amplify and reading works that's mm -hmm. all they can access okay students can't access anything mm -hmm. else so it can be very beneficial just because they're kind of forced right. to be in that website mm -hmm. um but regardless you're gonna have students that will be off task which you know as a, as a teacher it'll be your responsibility to get them back on right. task but there's so many variables as to why like a student might be off task mm -hmm. you know maybe they didn't sleep enough maybe they're having issues at home you know maybe they didn't eat well so many things to think about you know mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily think about every day right so how do you manage you know taking all of those extra student concerns and with also getting your curriculum to them what i tend to do is i like to talk to my students a lot like one-to-one mm -hmm. -one. Um, cause one thing I, I was told was if you're going to talk to students, try not to talk to them in big groups, just because, um, the group mentality might take over and you won't be able to communicate effectively with them. So like, let's just say I, um, I'm talking to a student who behaved poorly and, and let's just say in, in the classroom, mm -hmm. it's better to talk to that student one-on-one -on -one to explain, you know, what's going on, why did they act that way? How can mm -hmm. they improve and so forth instead of talking to them in a big group? Because... Well, what ends up happening is that that student might take it as you're trying to embarrass them and mm -hmm. they end up shutting down. They don't want to communicate and it ends up becoming, you know, difficult just to communicate with the student in general and you can't get your point across. Right. So it's always better to talk one on one with the students, um, even if it's right after class or it's before class or if it's during lunch, recess, mm -hmm. any time of day that you're able to communicate with a student, it's, I mean, that's what I try to do. Yeah, it seems like overall now there's more of a trend in teaching in actually treating the students like people instead of just like subordinates or whatever. Like, I don't know that I always felt like my teachers were taking the time to like communicate with me or like understand us as individuals when I was in school. And so I think that's a really important uh, move that I hear a lot of teachers are making now and and it's it's very important to do that just because I, I mean I figure With the way a lot of kids are growing up. They're growing up really fast mm -hmm. Just because they're a lot of, they're exposed to a lot of uh, mediums like social media They're exposed to things that possibly go on in their neighborhood or even their own household Because mm -hmm. um, there are students that unfortunately have to mature fast just because of a lot of trauma in their life Mm -hmm. So they know when you're treating them like a child, per se, rather than when you're treating right. them like an adult mm -hmm. or when you're talking to them like, you know, the way it's supposed to be. And I feel like students do appreciate that more in the long run because I, I, I have had a lot of students who thank me for, you know, taking the time to talk to them even when they were being stubborn, mm -hmm. you know, when they weren't paying attention, when they were being right. rowdy. And they really do end up appreciating that. Yeah, especially since, um, you know, seventh and eighth grade is like a difficult age to be anyway and yeah. fifth and sixth grade is close to that as well so I'm sure it's really helpful to have someone who's like 
I understand what you're going through and I just, you know, just talk to me about it. Oh yeah, definitely. And the thing that helped me out a lot was that, I mean, you, you would think that being a young teacher can be detrimental because a lot of students would say, oh, you're like not that far from my age. I don't have to listen to you. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because a lot of the students would say, you know, you're close to my brother's age. You're close to my uncle's yeah. age or my cousin's age. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think in a way they listened to me mm-hmm. a lot just because I was young. Right. But it's also the fact that I'm a Marvel nerd. Like, I love the <laughs> MCU. So I would talk yeah. about it a lot. And, you know, they would they would see that I would thrive off of it. Like, uh-huh. I would enjoy it. So And a lot of them happen to like it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, just having that, that yeah. connection. You guys can all talk about in-game together. Yes. And, then <laughs> and it's funny because there was um, the day I watched it, and then I went to go teach. And I was telling the students that I went to go watch, and they're like, why'd you watch it so late? Because a lot of them hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. And I told, and it's funny because that day students were being really talkative. And I told them, if you don't stop, I'm going to spoil Endgame. <laughs> and it's so funny because the whole classroom, they were like, they, they got quiet really fast. They're like, you wouldn't dare. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a tactic none of my teachers could have ever taken <laughs> when I was in school. Um, and so... Even though you're a new teacher, what is some advice that you would give to, you know, maybe that junior in high school that's thinking about being a teacher or someone who's, you know, about to enter, um, thinking about going to school? Is there any advice that you would give them? I would research the school that you want to go into, like Mm -hmm. that you want to work in. Definitely research it. Like there's a lot of websites like Illinois Report Card where you can see like the um, teacher turnover rate where you can look at the school's performance and so forth. But it's just... Um, when it comes to visiting schools, I always carefully look into the demean the the culture of the school. Mm-hmm. You know, are the kids happy? You know, are there always a lot of kids in the office? Mm-hmm. You know, the administration like when they're doing an interview or you know you're just there to visit. Do they respect you? You know, do they have a demeanor that you don't like? It's just little things that I tell them to nitpick at, mm-hmm. just because that's the way I am now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I always tell them, be careful wherever you're going. Cause, and I always tell them um, my story, too, of ha- me having to transfer mm-hmm. schools. And I always tell them, you know, always do what's best for you. Right. Because um, I, I do tell them, I do understand that, you know, transferring schools can be difficult just because you feel like you're deserting or leaving the students. Mm-hmm. And it can be a difficult transition just because of that emotional toll. But I always tell them, you always have to do it for your, your, your own best interest. Right. Because this career in the long run, it's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, with the students, they'll move on to the next grade level. Right. Or, you know, they'll graduate and they'll mm-hmm. be fine. However, if you're stuck in a situation that you don't like, that you'll only end up being more miserable, more tired, mm-hmm. you know, and you won't end up growing and you'll end up disliking the profession that right. you had passion for. Mm-hmm. I feel like teachers have like a high enough burnout rate already. There's no reason to like add to that and increase the likelihood that you'll just hate your <laughs> job pretty much. And, you know, when I, I do tell a lot of them, I mean, because when, when I've talked to a lot of them one-on-one, I, I blabber on that, like I'm a motor mouth. I talk to them, <laughs> like, I give them everything specifically, and they'll look at me, like, so terrified, like, is this all you have to do with being a teacher? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm just a first year, now I'm a second year, so it's, you know, I'm pretty sure someone who may have more experience may have more to say. But, you know, I tell them, always be careful of, like, certain red flags, certain things that you have to watch out for, just because... Like you said, teachers already have a high uh, turnover rate, have a burnout, mm-hmm. you know, and you want to avoid that as much as possible because self-care is very important in the teaching profession. Mm-hmm. Um, because don't get me wrong, you do have to do things for the students, but you also have to do them for yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's really good advice. 
Um, is there anything else that you wanted to cover today? Their advice I want to tell them is that you're never too young to be a teacher. You're okay. never too young to start <laughs> things. Because um, I'm currently 23. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny because a lot of the students are, when I, going back to what I said, a lot of students are like, you know, you're my brother's age, you're my cousin's age. Age doesn't matter in that aspect just because it shows that you're willing to do what's necessary, you're mm -hmm. on your on top of your game, and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then, because um, my seventh grade classroom specifically asked me, they're like, aren't you too young to be a teacher? <laughs> and so I you're told like, them, no, I'm I like, graduated. <laughs> I'm like, no, I graduated. And you know, it shows that I'm, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm dedicated into what I'm doing and that I'm smart enough to be where I'm at. I think. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, they gave me the job, so. Yeah, they gave me the job, so they know I'm competent. And I told them that, and, I, you know, I told, I told them that you're never too young to do anything. Um, that age shouldn't um, discourage you in anything. Just because, I mean, overall, if you want to do something and you're really passionate about it, nothing's going to stop you. you yeah. Know? I think that's really great advice, not just for teaching, but just for life. If you want to yeah. do something, there's should be nothing holding you back from yeah. it. Especially, I mean, age either. Mm -hmm. Because right. a lot of people will say, I'm too young or I'm too old to do things. And it's just in the mindset. Because if I thought about, I'm too young to be a teacher, I wouldn't have been a teacher. Right. And the way my my support system and the way my mind is set up is if I really want to do something, I'm going to do it regardless. With that, you know, if you're unhappy, you know, apply elsewhere, try to go to another school, take that risk, but be calculated with mm -hmm. it. You know, don't just apply because you want to get out, you know, apply because you want to go there that you believe in, you know, they have the same vision that you do because otherwise you'll end up in the same situation you were trying to get away from. Right. And it's always best to do your research. Be take risks, but take calculated risks and, you know, stand your ground in your decisions. Or mm -hmm. even if you're getting, um, backlash from you know whoever you're working with standing mm -hmm. ground and what you believe in um because i going back way back to <laughs> when i was transferring um mm -hmm. transferring schools i talked to professor Pazialik about something that was going on in school that i was working in the, the other school that they were they were telling me that there was missing equipment and then i had to pay for it and it, it became a big mess where i had to involve the union and everything mm -hmm. And so it turns out that they magically found that equipment like the day before I left, uh. before the union came. Uh -huh. And so, but the whole time, you know, I, I stood my ground because I talked to my professor, Patsyadlik, a lot. And I talked to him about, you know, what should I do? You know, this is what I did. And he said that I did a great job standing my ground, mm -hmm. that, you know, I didn't um, sub succumb to like having to pay or to do anything that I was firm in my decisions. Right. And that's I'm one sure thing. as a first year teacher, it'd be easy to sort of be bullied by the administration. Definitely. But you shouldn't let them do that to you. And, and, I, and I did tell, and I do talk to, um, you know, other people I graduated with or even juniors and seniors that always stand your ground, even mm -hmm. if you're a first-year teacher. Um, because the moment you start to, you know, succumb to everything is the moment you've lost. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I do want to thank Professor Paziatic a lot because he was a great support system in that aspect, but just, mm -hmm. you know, overall. In that too, like use your support system if you have one. Don't yeah. just think that you're in it alone, that you can do things alone and that, you know, nothing will happen to you. Always have that support system. Even if it's just one person, it's better to have that one person to have nothing at all. Because right. you always have someone to fall back on to talk to, to basically share your story with. Mm -hmm. um, and then colleagues. Great. Um, Gerardo, thank you so much for joining us. I really thank enjoyed you, our conversation you. today. Thank you so much.
for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago, as produced by the SATC Solution Center. As always, feel free to reach out to us on social media with your comments and suggestions. You can email us at solutioncenter at satcltd.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shank Annis Tepper Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.